Give this a listen. Do I listen to this thing? Yeah, give it a listen. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. What do you think that is? You want, you want, it's definitely generated. Okay. Listening to it over and over. Give me one sec. Mm-hmm. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. It's kind of dog. interesting. The quick brown fox jumps over amount the lazy of background dog. noise. Like mm. it almost sounds like a shitty microphone, which mm. is interesting because I'm assuming it's generated because of the artifacting in the ends of the words. Okay. I'm listening to it again. One sec. Give it, give it, give it one more pass. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. Okay. Wait. What do you? What, what's the question? Hit me. So I wanted to check in on the state of voice biometrics and see how they're doing uh, in light of all the big leaps AI has taken over the last little bit. Okay. And I wanted to try out some of the tools that have shown up in the last, say, six months to a year. Last time we did a deep fake voice episode was almost two years ago. What's changed, right? Yeah. And in the process of doing that, I ended up asking a very, I think, unsettling question, which is, what happens when you start to lie to these systems, specifically telling it that you're training it on one voice when you're actually training it on two. I was going to (laughs) say, it sounds like layered voices. That was actually going to be the next thing I was going to say. So what if instead of giving it, uh, say, five minutes of me talking, I unmuted your track. Gave it five minutes of us. (laughs) <laughs> and gave it five minutes of hacked podcast talking. So wait, this is a hybrid of us? This is this is a robot that thinks it was listening to one person, but was actually listening to us talk, and it produced this voice out of that. Give me one sec. I got to listen to it again. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. You know what the weird thing is, though? Is like it, I can hear bits of my own voice in it, which is why I was you like, hear it. but it doesn't really sound like you. You know who it actually sounds like is Mo from our office. <laughs> Interesting. If you listen to it, like maybe it's just me. You hear a little bit. Yeah, it, it does sound like someone I've I've heard before. I think I must have like listened to a podcast that sounded like this. I, I almost called him this guy. It's not a real person. It's it's made up. I, I don't know what it is. It's an AI creation based on On us. It's based on us. It's based on us. So if we were to have a voice child, your <laughs> silky, beautiful voice and my terrible nasal voice becomes exactly this voice. It is the son of hacked. The son of hacked. The son of hacked. Wow. So let, can let's, we just let's, fe- let's... feed it a script and have it record an entire episode? <laughs> On a long enough timeline, I think it could take over for us. Yeah, I think so. Let's go. Let's go. So I think we talk about that, the state of voice biometrics. I think we talk about a, a Massachusetts teacher that is facing charges for allegedly building a elaborate cryptocurrency mining operation in the school where he worked. Allegedly. Allegedly. And a new game that I'm calling, uh, where would you hide a clandestine crypto mining operation given your circumstances? <laughs> it's like a new road trip game. <laughs> No, it's going to be like the Geo Explorer. Like it shows you an office <laughs> building and you have to like sure. quick jump to somewhere where you would hide a crypto up. I mean, yeah, that. totally. <laughs> Pretty good game. Well, because we're going to talk about teachers, uh, I figured we'd talk about some ransomware stuff in schools, you know, some real depraved stuff where like, you know, you're holding records on at risk children for oh, a ransom. Wow. So I'm going to take the the less fun version of the of the teacher stealing electricity to make free crypto and, and go and go dark. 
So school crimes of varying degrees of fun. Uh, and then I want to talk about people. So people have taken uh, stable diffusion and MRIs and slammed them together. And it is pretty remarkable. So let's talk about all of that here on this chatty episode of Hacked. Yeah, how are you, how are you healing up? How are you feeling? I feel you back to one hundred. No, I'm like a hard sixty-eight. <laughs> like That's specific. A, I'm at the point. Yeah. Like I'm not quite 70, but I'm not far from it. Like I can get sure. up and go do things again. Like I'm I'm right. resuscitated to the point of functioning. I'm just not functioning at the point of exceptional, you know? Maybe by next episode. So, so I think I'm in that we're gonna get to watch you heal, essentially. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. So where do you want to start? Uh, I kinda I kinda wanna start with the YouTube hack. I mean, I kind of want to start by thanking just the best dang Patreon on the internet. You know what I mean? Oh, like, oh. I think that's where I personally want to start. <laughs> you're the real, you're the, you're the real, you're good at this. Like, do you want to thank Devin and Will and Ben? You know I want to thank Devin and Will and, and Ben. Reed and Jill. Well, but, but don't forget about Namclaw. Davey, Brian. You're going to forget about Namclaw? <laughs> yeah. That would be like forgetting about Gordon and Sulu. I would never forget about uh, Namclaw. Which is almost as bad as forgetting about Robcast Bobberton, whose whose name <laughs> I had never said out loud until this moment. <laughs> Robcast and have a lot of appreciation for her. You mean Ro- 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 Robertson Cast? Robcast, Robcast Bobberton. Bobberton. Uh, and Kelly Fitzgerald, Matt. The one and only. John. We've had a bunch of people kind of flood into the Patreon and into the Discord. And you got to say, you know, we love you all as much as we love the rest of our patrons and other people we hang out with. I promise I will post a photo of my computer <laughs> set up at home to go with the rest of the other people's computer Getting setups. Rig but in there. Let's just say that there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of chaos on my desk right now that I have to deal with. So sure. mostly cabling chaos. I'm more ashamed. Like I have, cause I have two computers on my desk. One's a Mac and one's a PC and I have them audio bridge mm-hmm. and I have them like a bunch of stuff. So I have SPDIF cables running between them and like, I just have so much cabling that I'm ashamed to post a photo because I will be judged <laughs> severely for how much cable disaster my desk is. My, uh, my desktop tends to look, I'm, I'm quite proud of it. I think I've laid it out quite nicely. I think it's a good looking desk. Uh, and I was kind of like fawning over it a little bit the other day. And then my, my partner, um, just like dunked on me. She's like, yeah, it looks really, really good. Uh, I, what, what about under there? I was like, oh, that's just the bottom of the desk. It doesn't matter. She's like, no, how, how's it going on? right right under that way? Um, and it's just cable hell. I have a big desk. I have a lot of cables. All right, Scott. And the underside of my desk is amazing. Like I have coiled up double-sided tape. So like there's switches and power bars mounted to the bottom of my desk. Like every, like I, I spent a day setting on my desk when I first got it. And then I added some more stuff to my and desk. Then you and add a little decided bit that I want to interlink my computers <laughs> for audio connections. And I wanted to do like a few things. And then all of a sudden, there's just a pile of cables that aren't dealt with under the desk. And then you have to rip everything apart and redo it all. And I just don't know if I'm there yet. 
Like I'm, I'm, I got too much to do and I'm not bored enough that I want to spend sure. seven hours recabling my desk. So maybe what I'll do is I'll take all of the cables off of my desk. Like I'll unplug everything, take a photo and then digitally put on <laughs> backgrounds on the monitors and stuff. So people can see it and I'll post that and be like, look at how beautiful this is. My shit's impeccable. Exactly. <laughs> If you, if you want to join all that fun, uh, support us on over at hackpodcast.com, which redirects to our Patreon. Um, and for context, we are recording this pretty early, recording this on uh, March 6th. So if you have uh, been kind enough to support us after that point, but before this episode goes up, that is why you're not uh, included true. in this true, list. It's a really well-organized, legible list, um, but we'll, we'll get you in the next one. True, true, true. Okay, can we talk about YouTube now? Heck yes, we can talk about YouTube. I'll talk about YouTube all day. What do you want to talk about? I just, this this story of the <laughs> people using YouTube as a storage facility, I love it. Like, it's just, it makes, like when you're encoding binary data into video frames and then just like dumping them onto a free video <laughs> platform. Granted, you're like, just, like, I guess you could encrypt mm -hmm. the data, but like, it's kind of brilliant. It's incredibly... It's super fun. So the story here is uh, a username Dvorak Dwarf, which is a really, really good. That's a fantastic username. And for everyone that knows about Dvorak, uh, I know a guy who uses Dvorak. I had to Google Dvorak to remember what Dvorak was. <laughs> but in any case, Dvorak Dwarf uh, posted this like proof of concept, essentially, of how to encode binary files into video on YouTube. Interestingly, it, it, it does make the file size bigger. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it four times larger than the original file, but it does allow you to post data for free on YouTube. You just have a monstrous, like instead of having a paying a Google Drive <laughs> subscription, you just need a piece of piece of software that can retrieve. Because you're getting, I don't know, like it's like a it's like a like a fun hack. It's a super fun hack. No, it's not. And wait, I just want to remember, Dvor Dvorak is the weird keyboard layout, right? Dvorak is the weird keyboard layout. A mutual, a good mutual friend of ours uses yeah, yeah, it yeah. or used it for years. Yeah. And every time I would try and... Uh, Let's give him a shout out. Lo Logan uses it, right? Our friend Logan, Logan. uses it. Our friend Logan uses it. And every time he would... Uh, yeah. Any of us would go to type on his computer. Uh, type anything. It be chaos. It's just, just madness. <laughs> like the button has a letter written on it. And when you hit the button, not that letter. <laughs> See, I feel like I feel like I feel like Logan's at the point now, though, that with Dvorak, and I imagine most Dvorak users are probably also mechanical keyboard nerds. Yep, and they probably reconfigure their keys, <laughs> like I would. Sure, reconfigure to Dvorak. So, like at least you know when you hit you hit the A button, you're getting an A sure. button. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a really good call. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if you can get Dvorak keycaps. You must be able to. I mean, it's the same key set. It's just have they shuffled it around for you well but the, but the, oh, the keys have different the keys have different slopes right like that's the big thing with keycaps if you're a mechanical keyboard nerd which i'm which oh, i'm yeah, that's true your j needs that little bump the f needs that little but bump. it's not just that it's actually if you take all the keys off and lay them there's a profile to your keyboard hmm. for how how the keys function with the layout of the keyboard for reaching and sloping and angles and stuff like if you're a your keyboard nerd, which I've now exposed myself as being. Um, yeah, gotcha. You'll know this. So, so, it, so there must be Dvorak keycaps. And if there, and if Logan doesn't have a Dvorak keyboard, I know what I'm getting him for a wedding present. <laughs> so, in order for Dvorak dwarfs hack to work, um, and I was curious about this when I read the headline, is that I know that YouTube's compression 
is not only pretty severe, but kind of constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So there's this really interesting question of how do you do this in a way that YouTube's compression isn't going to uh, like just result in a bunch of data loss. The quick sort of early solution at this point was just make sure that you're not using any RGB. This has to be entirely black and white pixels. The blocks have to be of a certain amount of like certain kind of size. Um, it's not totally clear at this point if this method is going to violate YouTube's terms of service. So there could be a situation where if this reached uh, like became a thing people were actually doing where YouTube could basically just apply stronger compression to corrupt the data stored inside of these staticky sure. data storage videos. It's really, really cool and interesting. Well, the, the way that they've done it is, I would say, is very, what's the best way to describe this? It's, it's very low yeah. efficiency. Yeah. Like the size of the, the size of the blocks and stuff like to, to ensure that it doesn't get corrupted away. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could do this so much better with actually just saving the data, but, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's missing the point entirely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. This is what it is. It's just like black and white squares that represent binary things like laid into frames per second, laid into a video. And you could probably build in some form of parity check in it and things like that to rebuild corrupted data if it were possible. Like almost use like a, like a raid algorithm across different YouTube videos. But anyway, does it, does it, doesn't matter. It's still a cool thing, Super like cool. a happy hack, something neat and fun Love that it. people do. And I, you know, I, I think it's a good story to kick us off before we get into holding yeah. at risk child information <laughs> hostage. Uh, hack day when they posted it, they, they brought up an episode of a podcast they did where they, they experimented with baking information into the, uh, the audio file which sent me down a reading rabbit hole of the technique that they use there, uh, which is something I had never heard about, which is called the Kansas City Standard or the Byte Standard. Yep. I'd never heard about this. It goes yep. back to 1975 and is like the foundation of pro- like storing data on tape. Incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, like while we're talking about weird hacks, there's actually like a for-profit hack that's like this. Hmm. Um, I, like you're an audio guy. Yeah. Have you ever heard the term MQA? MQ. Does this ring a bell? No, it's not. Master's quality audio. Okay. Anyway, so, so up, like yeah. titles, titles, hi-fi subscription and stuff like this. Like, you know, there's like different file oh, types and yeah, bit rates sure. and all the rest of this stuff. MQA, what they did is they, they took the inaudible space inside of hmm. like the way that like, there's all this frequency that humans can't hear, right? So, so our audio files still encode it. Right. So there's like most people can't hear above 17,000 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. Like dogs can and like bats can. And, yeah, sure. You know, but most humans, like over, over 20K is like you'd have to have super ears to hear it. Hmm. But the files still encode to like 48,000 yeah, K. Sure. There's empty room. You know, like, in so the there's all band. of this. Yeah. Huh. Exactly. So what MQA did is said, you know what, let's just, and I'm, uh, I'm by no hmm. means an expert in this, but this is the way that I understand it. So if I'm incorrect here, please rib me on Twitter and I will apologize, but <laughs> they've taken inaudible space and they've used it to essentially boost up the resolution of the oh. audible space without changing the file size. And that's like the big, so when we're talking about like compression yeah, types and, sure. 
and using things kind of in a non-traditional way, that's, that's kind of what this dynamic is. There's a big argument about whether it actually increases the quality or decreases the quality. And there's a bunch of people that hate it because it's created by a company and they charge licensing fees. And right. There's a whole political aspect around oh, it that I don't want to get into sure. and don't rib me on Twitter about. But <laughs> anyway, just an inter- interesting way to, to, to look at a problem and solve a problem by just looking at outcomes rather than than the input so is it better or worse than the 300 bits per second i can store on tape using the kansas city standard because i'm a traditionalist i like that that old school uh, kansas city standard sound you know <laughs> so can it beat that <laughs> i i feel like the kansas city sa- sounds is more of like the dsd in audio track stream digital i don't know if you know what it is but it's essentially a format used to preserve and encode uh like audio files and DSD files are monstrous. Mm. Granted, they're essentially bit perfect or they're supposed to be like pretty close to it, I think, but they're, they're massive. Like you're talking about, like, I think I've got a DSD album and it is multiple gigs Mm. for like one album. Interesting. Well, find this episode of hacked stored as thousands of static frames on YouTube. There was a a comment. (laughs) There was a comment that I really liked um, where someone said like, this looks so much, they were talking about the the data that had been encoded using the system on YouTube. And they said, this looks so much like TV static. It makes me wonder uh, what if there are clandestine analog TV stations broadcasting quote static that's actually data. Uh, and I love that as like a spooky sci-fi concept that all the static just that you can pick up on a TV is actually some data being broadcast from somewhere. I'm like that's some, some quality, uh, what a spooky past or whatever those are called, uh, R slash no sleep stuff. I'm here for it. I I was going to say that's like an R slash writing prompts. Totally. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, it's great. And you, you finally crack how it's been, uh, how it's been encrypted and it, it says some stuff. (laughs) Uh, so where do we where do we go from here? We could talk about Chick Chick Fil A. You know, we had a had a long lengthy conversation <laughs> about Chick Fil A before we press record. Uh, I tried it at Christmas because we're Canadian yeah, we and don't have, have it, but I tried it at Christmas, and uh, I the obsession with the Chick Fil A sauce. Well, you said you love it. I'm gonna, you, you said I'm gonna it. Some, I'm I'm going to make some enemies <laughs> when I say this, but it disgusted me. You're not here for it. The Chick Fil A sauce. It just it. It just looks so unhealthy. Like it just the the glimmer to it and the shine and the like just the way it moves. The like way it doesn't it move moves. like natural sauce. Yeah, literally, literally. It's just of its own accord. I just I'm not there for it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna get roasted because I know Chick-fil-A is like it. a loved institution in the States. I, I, but it's I not Google image this sauce because we talked about it for for a minute before we started recording. It's a shade of yellow. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a shade of yellow. I you see often in nature or food, um, but it's certainly a shade of yellow. Yeah, soy soy uh, the soybean oil base really gives it a a texture and a dynamic that is feels unnatural to me, which therefore makes me not want to eat it. It does. I will say this. When you do put it in your mouth, it does taste good. I mean, you bury but that lead it just, that it's actually delicious. This is, this is, this is all aesthetic well, complaints. You, like, you don't like the way it catches the light. But in terms of putting it on a chicken sandwich, yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm yeah, here yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Well, like, but like, I'm a, I like, who doesn't love a good honey sure, mustard? Sure, sure. Like, I even make my own honey mustard with just honey and mustard, and it's delicious. The Chick fil A sauce is like essentially a kind of a honey mustard, and it is, it does have its own sweet, salty, insane taste. But I just aesthetically, I'm a texture guy and I just can't do it, you know, like textural foods. Like if it's, I can't eat oatmeal. Like I'm telling you guys all something about myself right now. I cannot eat oatmeal. Oh. The texture of it's just too slop, too slop like to me. I, I can't do it. I, I rock so, with some oatmeal. Yeah, yeah. I really rock with oatmeal. Um, so uh, presumably now your information regarding the, this 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 sauce order was part of the compromise that occurred on, on December two, uh, 2022 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in which Chick-fil-A users accounts were stolen in a credential stuffing attack. I had to kind of <laughs> reacquaint myself with this. Uh, credential stuffing, bleeping computer reported on this. Um, it's essentially just, we're going to go find a bunch of credentials in some other data leak, something entirely unrelated to Chick-fil-A. We're going to buy a bunch of credentials, emails and passwords, and then we're going to automate a system over here. Exactly. And we're just going to, maybe you use the same email and password combo on Chick-fil-A's user profile, whatever it's called. I don't know what their point system is named. Maybe you use that same combination there that you used over on this site over here that was compromised in a breach. Which is maybe the single largest reason to have a password manager you know let's leave let's leave LastPass out of it i know we talked about <laughs> talking about it more because it seems like it's just a never-ending story but uh but like that's the i would say is one of the largest reasons to have a password mm-hmm. manager like in the problems with password episode that we did like five years mm-hmm. ago that's like the big thing that's changed now is like people are hacking your like i got a a, a notification from like do you remember evernote you remember that service? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. I used to use Evernote a ton in like 2010. Mm-hmm. And I got an I got a I got an email the other day being like, "Hey, your password request is in." And I was like, "Excuse me?" <laughs> like, I don't think I've logged into my Evernote account in 10 years. Huh. And so I, I logged in, changed my password, set a two-factor authentication and just moved on with my life, but but somebody clearly credential stuffed me probably off of some hack to some old system and I had to use the same password and anyway, so it's just, it's yeah. Can you imagine what would have happened if you'd use those same credentials for your Chick-fil-A account? Oh my God. I will say let's just talk about Chick-fil-A here again is though. So the lineup was ridiculous. Not about the hack, just about the the shopping experience at Chick-fil-A. I, 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 we got, we got to talk about this. This is, there was like four lanes of drive Oh, wow. They have like an Uber Eats and like skip the dishes kind of like. Just flying out the door. They have their own lane in the drive through just huh. to pick up takeout orders for delivery. Anyway, it was like, I wish I owned Chick-fil-A <laughs> after seeing the operation. And like the school buses of like sports teams showing up and like waiting in line for food. Huh. When they're moving units of sauce but, but too, cr- and it's clearly just soybean oil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, profit margins must be high. You know, I'm, I'm going to make an economic argument for why you should have a Chick-fil-A account even after the hack, because the lineup was massive. But then I was noticing that like people would like walk in, walk up to a little desk and grab their bag and leave. And if you ordered from the app, you could skip the line entirely. Mm-hmm. So there were people that were in line with me who were downloading the app, 
would buy and pick up their food before we'd move like two people. And I was like, this is why you have a Chick-fil-A account, even if it gets hacked. <laughs> that, that, there's the value right there. <laughs> well, <laughs> that about covers this, this hack of this account <laughs> and why this account rules. <laughs> <laughs> that about covers it for this month. Take care. That's the, catch you on the next one. As a pretty quick turnaround on, uh, so Christmas 2022, bleeping computers, email, bleeping computer emails Chick Fil A about reports of an account breach. January 2023, they say we're looking into it. Meanwhile, there are Telegram channels showing people purchasing these accounts and sharing their purchases made through these purchased, uh, these stolen Chick Fil A accounts. And then in February 12th, 2023, uh, Chick-fil-A confirms there was a credential stuffing attack that happened over the holidays. 71,473 Chick-fil-A accounts hacked. Uh, personal information, including name, email address, your Chick-fil-A A1 membership, which apparently is the name of this program, uh, your mobile pay number, your QR code, a masked version of your credit card, and the amount of Chick-fil-A credit on your account, if anything, may have been accessed by these actors. Well, so, so the, in the screenshots they provide the, you can see the different accounts mm. and like, it's like buy this account. It has a $2,000 balance on it. Pay 200 bucks for it. In Chick-fil-A That's, points, essentially. It's 10 cents Holy. on the dollar. But like, I, I, could you imagine, I don't know, I don't know if it's, well, let's, uh, let's a whole different conversation about if you had $2,000 worth of Chick-fil-A points, <laughs> but like, <laughs> let's let's not get into that but with the but a two thousand dollar balance inside your they must have like charged the visa to add gift certificates i would assume or something and then before the visa got canceled and the account got canceled or something but huh. you know right i thought you were saying that there like, were two thousand dollars worth of whatever their points were which would then evoke the chilling math of how much money do you have to spend at chick-fil-a to get two thousand no, dollars no, of their no. points uh, and I was going to crunch and that math, intentionally, but yeah, okay. I, I hear what you're saying. We're intentionally, avo we're, we're intentionally avoiding that. Let's not, we're not having that conversation. <laughs> we don't need to know that number. We already heard what happens when an I AI like slams our voices together. Enough Lovecrafty and <laughs> horror for one episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh man. Could you, I don't know, whatever. I assume it's got to be 1%. So that means you're like one or 10%. Let's hope 10%. <laughs> So to get two thousand dollars in points, that means you spent twenty conservatively grand. twenty at one percent. No, at one percent it would be two hundred grand. <laughs> and if you've spent two hundred grand at Chick Fil A, wow, wow, you really do love let's, that let's yellow yellow sauce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chick Fil A forced a password reset. They froze all the funds. Did what you'd expect. Um, but it is a good yeah. reminder from that problem with passwords episode. Hey, even in like seemingly very. Uh, I would say low concern accounts, not to editorialize the value of a Chick-fil-A account, but even in those, do not reuse your passwords. Try and have something unique for each individual one because that eliminates the concern of credential stuffing, which is still a very viable tactic that people are using. Oh, a million, like the, yeah, a million percent. Let's stay on the light side. Let's stay on the light side of life mm -hmm. here. The, <laughs> I was creeping on Krebs the other day, mm. you know, just to give them another shout out, Krebs on security. And apparently... Hulu has commissioned and is soon to releasing a documentary series about the Ashley Madison hack. We'll watch. Which they've called the Ashley Madison Affair, which uh -oh. I think is an appropriate name given the fact that AO, Ashley Madison was there to have affairs. <laughs> but uh but yeah. So I, th I think that's just like an interesting 
pop culture rip mm-hmm. on, I feel like that could be a hacked production. Like hacked makes a, like we make documentaries. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people know that, but Jordan and I've made some, some videos together mm-hmm. with some friends of ours and colleagues. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that we could have done very well. Maybe we should, maybe we should have done a doc. When we're not making video games, our video game podcast, talking about hacked and working our day-to-day jobs, we should be making Hulu series for the Ashley Madison affair. Apparently. Yeah. I feel like there's a, there's, there's a lot of hunger for hacky, scammy, grifty content right now. It's kind of in the air. A bunch of the stories we've talked about over the last like six months are in some stage of active development. Uh, there's a real hunger for it. And I'm just really happy to see Brian Krebs in everything. I put him in all of your movies about cybercrime. He's great. (laughs) That yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you love to see it. The uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Razzlecon and Dutch episode we did. They're making that into like five different shows. Um, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Do, do you know what I've do you know what I've seen in? Uh, remember the episode we did about the uh, crypto queen? Yes. Uh, the wait the 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 one coin episode or the Razzlecon and Dutch episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the one coin episode. I, I. I are they making that one into something? I have a memory that I read an article like a month ago that they are making that into something. Oh no, they are making it into something. So I that, think we talked about that in that episode yeah. actually, but it was early. Oh, did we? I think we might have. I, hmm. <laughs> I feel like it was a dramatization though. Like it wasn't actually a... Oh, a docu-series. Like it's not a docu-series. I feel, I, feel, I, I feel like I read that it was actually being made into a real show. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. They're interesting stories. Like that one. Oh yeah. The double anyway, whammy. We can leave it there. I, I'm not sure if I'm making that up or if I read that late at night, one night laying in bed, trying to fall asleep. So <laughs> why don't we kick it over to the, uh, the old commercial break. And when we come back, we'll talk about, uh, talk about crypto, crypto mines in crawl spaces, uh, right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, I don't think you understand the gold that you just outroed us on there. <laughs> Crypto Mines in Crawl Spaces, a new docu-series by Hacked Podcast. Oh, pretty good. Coming to Netflix this fall. Oh, pretty. Think? I'm, uh, where do I sign? Where do I, this, this shark is interested in investing. Yes, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's. Listen, Netflix. Yeah. We'll take the meeting if you ask, but. You know, only if you ask. We're not going to come. We're not going to. We're not going to come for you. He, uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm, disagreed. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, joking. <laughs> just joking. Please let us in. I'll I'll camp in front of your building. <laughs> let us inside, please. <laughs> we'll buy you lovely dinners. All of the Chick Fil A sauce that your heart desires. Uh, we will show up <laughs> with it in a big pillowcase. Um, yeah, crypto mines and crawl spaces. I feel like that's probably at this point a pretty like thriving genre of story. And there was uh, a very interesting one that kind of sort of came to a little bit of a head this month. 
Massachusetts authorities first discovered a, a very unusual electrical something going on somewhere in the Cohasset High School. And it was announced this month that Nadim Nahas, a 39-year-old teacher, has been arrested in relation to it. It's a very weird one. Uh, you'd read about this before the arrest and the announcement of who'd kind of been charged with this when it was just a school found some computers that were being used to mine cryptocurrency. Yeah. You you learned about this before we knew kind of where this was all going. Yeah, the first time I, I saw this story kind of flow through my timeline, it was like they'd found this. Like they'd somebody mm -hmm. had gone into a thing, saw something, the IT person was like, oh shit, I know what this is. They brought in... Yeah. external investigators but i don't think they had figured out who it was so it's interesting that it turns mm -hmm. out to be a teacher i just assumed it would have been like one of the it staff or something but but essentially oh interesting somebody had figured out how to leverage public power and uh turn that into money or i guess into crypto which you know arguably can be turned into money so it can be turned into <laughs> money depending on what day of the week it is yeah uh yeah so the, 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 the town's IT director calls the cops saying there's a weird computer rig doing something or other in the school. They contact the U.S. Coast Guard Investigative Service and the Department of Homeland Security, which is quite the escalation. Um, but they swoop in and they figure out what uh, allegedly this teacher kind of was, was doing. Um, and this really just comes down to, so uh, the, the coverage of this spoke with a guy a crypto expert uh, who said that the reason something like this might happen is because the cost of electricity in New England is prohibitively high. And so this can't be done efficiently at home, which is a, a wild way to understand what occurred here. Uh, it did lead me to go down the rabbit hole of researching whether or not uh, Massachusetts, Massachusetts does have expensive power and whether it would be a good place for crypto mining and crawl spaces. And, and the power there is very, very expensive. Hmm. Yeah, fifth from the top. It's sandwiched between Connecticut and Oklahoma, a very expensive place to try and mine cryptocurrency. Not a good place to do it if there's a good place to do it at all. A little bit of petty electricity thievery. And next thing you know, you've got a, a semi-profitable <laughs> business off the cost of the public tax dollar. <laughs> Completely. This is, I, I always find this style of like crime interesting mm. and fraud because it's like... sure. Like physical access to anything is insecurity, you know, like the, yeah, like this sure. person just has access to the school. Easy way to get caught. Exactly. Like know? they just have to run extension yeah. cords into a, essentially a completely vacant space that no one really probably, like who knows how long it had been there. Totally. Like you probably started with one or two rigs. And then I think in the photo, you can see that there's like 10, 12, 15 rigs. Yeah. But it's like. talking about cable rats nests earlier and it's really. It's quite the operation he built out in, in there. Yeah, but it's it's like I remember when I was younger, like before Wi-Fi security got really high and stuff. Like, you can build a like a wireless packet sniffing <laughs> device and just like walk yeah. into a public place and like plug it in, and most people won't know what it is, and it'll stay there forever. Like you can, like places where the public has access to building things that look nondescript and can be like just set aside. Like these things look right, like crypto right. mining rigs, but like you can imagine, like if you go to build a small enough, it looks like a land party in a crawl space. <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. not inconspicuous. But like you can imagine if you, if, if you made these things look more like office equipment and you just right. threw one. Sure. Sure. Like 
if you just plug them in around, like most people would walk by them a thousand times and not even look at them twice. And it's like, there's, there's such an interesting, it's not social engineering, but it's like social norm engineering where it's like, you know, I expect, I expect to see office equipment when I'm in an office. So when I see office equipment in an office, it doesn't trigger my senses. Yeah, sure. So it's like, if he, if he, if, if they didn't put these are allegedly, if they didn't put these allegedly <laughs> in the, in the crawl space and if they were made to look more realistic, hmm. they probably could have hid them in plain sight. Well, it raises an interesting question of how that IT person caught him because it could have to do with power demand. Oh. It could also have to do with whether or not he accessed the network infrastructure of the schools. Like, was this thing lighting anything up on the network side saying like, Hey, there's a crypto yeah. crypto There's mine 19 nodes called crypto mine one two yeah. three four totally. five but then on this on the social side like hiding it in plain sight you wouldn't have what must have occurred here which is this it director at some point peeked his head into a hole in the floor and was greeted by a bunch of computers totally like that very weird weird moment where he's like i think i need to call the coast guard apparently (laughs) (laughs) i'm in the crawl space of my on my like i'm on land i'm in a school i'm in a crawl space i need the coast guard it's very strange i don't understand american legal system well enough neither, to understand how the coast guard is your first call there <laughs> i wonder if at the coast guard they got that call and they're like i know we're the coast guard but we did just get a call about an illicit crypto mine in a school somewhere but the guy sounds nervous so maybe we should check it out yeah this this teacher who was allegedly responsible resigned from their position at the school in early 22. A criminal complaint was issued against him for fraudulent use of electricity and for school vandalization. The vandalization charge is very interesting. Mm. Uh, he was scheduled to appear in Quincy District Court for his arraignment this past month. The reason we're hearing about it now is that he never showed up, forcing the court judge to issue a warrant for his arrest. And that's kind of where the story is up until this point. Interesting. I, th- I wonder if he went... Uh went full crypto con and he's like disappeared into the the places with non-extradition treaties. Well, the one th- the one data point we are missing here right now uh, is how much of it he mined. <laughs> so maybe he had the funds to do that. Yeah, maybe he's a quiet billionaire. And Netflix, if you want someone to make a doc about it, just get in touch. <laughs> um, the, the, um, I, let's just talk about how they probably found it aside from looking at the hole. Like I assume... Yeah, right. Power metering at the level that you know what's using it, especially in an infrastructure and and at the scale of a school would be very, very complicated. Yeah, that that tracks. Network access, I can definitely see. Like, because you would see those nodes on the network and you would see their network names and their MAC addresses. and, And you would wonder what they were. That would also, in an infrastructure the size of a school... Chromebooks and IOT devices like out the yin yang. Like you can only mm-hmm. imagine the level of detail that it would take to be, unless they were named something like crypto mine one, crypto mine two, <clears throat> Nahas's retirement <laughs> crypto plan one. <laughs> but, yeah, sure. Sure. But it would be, it would be, it'd be, it'd be tough. I assume truthfully, I assume it's just, I shoved my head in a hole and I saw a bunch of computers whirring away and was like, those aren't supposed to be here and called the police. Yeah. It honestly could have been that, that he just found computers. It could be that 
it wasn't even the IT director. Someone finds computers in a crawl yeah. space. The person they're probably going to go to is either the principal or the, the IT, IT director, director yeah. or one leads to the other. Um, and suddenly you're trying to figure out what these computers are doing. This is an aside. Um, for years, I lived in an apartment building. You, 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 you know the apartment that I was living in. and um, I do. After years of, of living there, I was when we were moving out, I had a conversation with uh, like the building manager. We were talking about just the building and the experience of having lived there and the rent. And we started talking about how uh, I brought up how uh, power was not included in my bill. It was factored into my rent. And he said, oh, that's not the landlord's choice. We can't tell. There's no individual power meters on any of these units. We don't know how much any one unit is actually drawing. The building's average is amortized out and it is charged as part of the condo fees. And I had this like brief moment where I was like, so you're telling me. I could have been mining crypto. I could have been running a crypto <laughs> mine in the crawl space of this building this entire time. I was livid. Not even in the crawl space. I rent apartments in that building. Just in my house. And they're just not even, nobody lives in them. They're just nope. server rooms full of crypto mines. Yeah. Because you had a lot of windows too. So you could just easily create like an air, like put some fans, intake fans on some oh, and exhausts on the other. The thermals would have been yeah. incredible. Especially in, yeah. in Canadian winters, you could have just, yep. just hummed power into money. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, man. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Missed, and it, it, I can almost guarantee too that your lease agreement didn't stipulate that you weren't allowed to put a server farm and crypto <laughs> mine in there. Yeah, I don't think... I imagine we're going to start seeing that in residential and, and commercial rent agreements soon, especially ones that include power, but... Well, that was such an interesting story... Like the province that we're both from has relatively affordable, in the context of North America, relatively affordable energy. Yeah. Um, and that was why about four, four years ago, roughly speaking, there was a huge influx of entrepreneurs from all over the world. And they were their whole thing was we're going to identify jurisdictions with relatively affordable power and we're going to like airdrop in shipping containers full of servers, basically. And we're going to boot up these little businesses. And you ended up with this very strange recurring story of very rural communities in Northern Canada, who suddenly there was like a weird worrying off in the distance. And it was that a giant server farm had just been like plopped in to some farmland somewhere and was mining cryptocurrency. And the second, you know, that math changed, they would vanish and they would go off somewhere else. But for a while that, that hit where we were from like reasonably hard. Well, the funny enough, like south of us, um, mm -hmm. Medicine Hat, because they have their Medicine Hat's like a unique little town. They have their own like electrical mm -hmm. utility. They they got hit with that, and as well as the <laughs> marijuana industry saw that as an opportunity. Cheap cheap utilities, yeah, so sure. it's like crypto and 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 well, and grow farms. <laughs> We're like, yeah, cheap, cheap, cheap power. Like we're in cheap water and power. <laughs> like like a, let's go. There's a fun parallel there in that they, the exact same story of a, a teacher was running an illicit operation in the crawl space of a school. I feel like in 1975, that would have been a little grow up. They would have found some little exactly, fun way to, exactly. to grow weed in some far off corner of the school and no one had to know. Exactly. Maybe a crawl space wouldn't work because plants, but it feels like it's got the same spirit about it. You know, I, I remember when I was like really young, I remember hearing about grow ops being busted and the way that they caught them was power usage. 
power usage. Yeah. So I wonder if like, I guess weed's legal in Canada now, but like, I wonder if that really like when crypto farms were getting big, but weed wasn't mm. legal. I wonder if there was a crosshold where they're like, oh, Hey guys, we got another yeah. grow up popping up and then they go raid it. And it just turns out it's like some crypto farm and they're like, Oh, okay. never mind." And then they like the next one and it's like, okay, <laughs> we got another grow up and they go raid it. And it's like, Oh, it's, an, it's another one of those crypto things. Just like consuming so just much power. SWAT teams walking <laughs> out of buildings with their heads like between like <laughs> heads down all forlorn, like just a bunch of dorks again. <laughs> Making that weed in there. <laughs> bad stuff. Teaching bad stuff, school stuff. Bad stuff. Yeah, so in the UK bad stuff in schools. Yeah. Classic ransomware, the Vice Society ransomware group. Um got a British school and uh they were trying to demand a ransom and in doing so they started uh, posting files about children on the internet as like a proof that they had it saying you know pay our Oof. pay our bills so not a positive story but still in the education space not that having an illegal crypto farm is a positive story but, <laughs> but way less way less chill than 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 having an illegal crypto farm to like you know yeah outing kids yeah, it's like the collision of two things that we've talked about before, which is the weird part of a lot of ransomware operations where they have to kind of, I think we've likened it to the part of a traditional kidnapping where they 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 mail someone a finger type thing. Exactly. It's the part of the whole process where they have to show, here's what we could do. Um, a lot of the time, it's not quite as sinister as the information that you were storing on miners, but... Uh, it then raises the another question we talk about a lot, which is like, be really, really thoughtful about the amount of information you just maintain ever <laughs> at, at, when you're that level of a, an institution. It's like, how much info on kids do you really need to be keeping? Yeah. I think it was from a panel of 14 schools. Highly confidential is what they're saying. So I assume it's, I assume it's childhood behavioral information and they, and, uh, the news reports and stuff clearly stipulate that it was about at-risk children. So it's probably kids. Woof. Yeah, exactly. Kids experiencing issues. So it's definitely not good. Highly sensitive, highly confidential information about at-risk youth. So not, not, not chill. Not, not chill and good. Vice Society has carved out a little bit of a reputation in this space, apparently largely going after healthcare and educational organizations uh, agnostic to kind of where they've done it in Europe. They've done it, done it in North America. Um, as targets go again, I, we've talked about this before. It's like, I, I get why folks would go after healthcare. Uh, it's very high stakes. There's a huge incentive for people to pay. There's relatively, relatively large coffers, um, but it contains such an obvious ethical dimension that it's, Pretty, pretty, pretty not cool. Um, when you've drifted over into educational organizations, you've kind of, I've lost the thread on what it is you're looking for here because <laughs> that's not, you're not flushed with cash. There isn't that urgency. It just seems like you're kind of really picking the worst things to go after at that point, be like hospitals and schools. It's like, wow. Okay. So ransomware.live, a, a site that tracks ransomware attacks has Vice Society is the number one education attacker oh, wow. in the field. So they were like, and by like a five X multiple. So they're like, they're like one of the biggest ones. So 
The uh, I'm also seeing. I wonder if this is still up, but they they have a website apparently, and it is based off of the Grand Theft Auto Vice City <laughs> design. Awesome. Oh my god, is that the name Vice Society? Vice Society. So it's a. Uh, wow. It's a. I don't know. They they are what they are, but. Okay. Well, let's let's balance out. One or two more things we could chat about here. Let's balance out some of that those bad vibes from that Vice Society story with a story that actually came out of our Discord user Bite Mantis, who I think also gave us the YouTube encryption story, shared some stuff about Trace Labs. In a previous episode, Scott, we talked about I can't remember what the name of the group was, but they essentially functioned as like a like a hackers without borders type thing. Well, it's funny enough, that's what their name is. Hackers without borders. Is seen Literally hackers. I wonder why that was in my you, brain you, for some you, you reason. You nailed the memory recall there. You just didn't trust yourself. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> so Trace Labs is this like donor funded nonprofit. They do open source intelligence, but their whole kind of purpose for existing is to help find missing people. Never seen anything quite like this. It's super interesting. Uh, and it's basically if, you're, if you are interested in open source intelligence and you're interested in participating in some kind of big decentralized project on the internet to help do a little bit of good, it seems like a very, very interesting uh, initiative. And we just wanted to kind of put it out to people. We don't know a ton about it, but it seems pretty cool. They're not going after bad guys. <laughs> they're not doing that like, no, we're going to find them and take them down. Like they're just, they're just trying to find people that are missing and then they report it onto the police and then they move on to the next one love to see it. it does it does it does i think it's just going to be something we see more and more you know now that i think government well like we talked about this in the christmas chatty yeah. chat but like governments governments need to accept that cybersecurity is a thing and it's here and it's not going anywhere and some of the most harmful thing the some of the most harmful behavior and and policy that we're going to create is stuff that limits knowledge development in it because yeah, right. It's kind of like a, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but I, I say that I was about to make a paradigm to gun control there. And I don't know if I want to go there because <laughs> it's like, it's like, is the, is the best way to, to fight guns with more guns? And maybe I've just mm -hmm. caught myself in a, in a moral quandary that I'm not, <laughs> not okay it with, but and no, no, Scott, an hour and one minutes into this podcast, I say, take on gun control. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to have cyber crime. So we need to develop better cyber criminals to fight the cyber criminals. Whoops. I, I, the only I, I, way to stop whoops. a bad guy with a computer is a good guy with a computer. Oh, no. Oh, no. Anyway, a, a quick shift. Quick shift. Pivot. Pivot. Let's go over here. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, there's not really even a big story here. It's a little outside of scope, but it was wild. Um, or I think it's incredibly interesting. Researchers at the Graduate School of Frontier Biosciences at Osaka University published a paper called Stable Diffusion to Read FMRI. And what they've essentially figured out how to do, for anyone that doesn't know, Stable Diffusion is like Midjourney or Dolly, a uh, commonly used practice for AI image synthesis. It is one of the more kind of open sourcey ones. There's an official version of it with some controls built into it, but it is open source. So there's people creating new versions and forks of stable diffusion all of the time. It's becoming kind of the workhorse of the AI image synthesis world. Um, very interesting stuff. These researchers went uh, full mad science 
and figured out how to wire in images produced by an fMRI, so like essentially a brain scan, and they piped into the stable diffusion process to the point where they were able to show an image to a person who was inside of an MRI, scan that person's brain, take that brain scan, a 2D image that was produced, wire it back through a stable diffusion-based process, and output an image. That image it outputted looked a great deal like the image the human user was shown. So what they essentially managed to do was reverse engineer what that person was seeing without Whoa. seeing what they were seeing. Not to be kind of hyperbolic about it, but they kind of read the person's mind in a weird way if you think about it like that. This is very dystopian sci-fi. I feel like we're knocking on that door. It's very sci-fi. We're This one felt weird to me. Like... It, uh, I think in Prometheus, the Ridley Scott alien prequel, there's a, there's a big plot point that involves a technology that is used to scan, essentially be able to view people's dreams. Oh, this is... And this, this feels kind of like that, where it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're seeing what I'm seeing without seeing it, just looking at my brain. Maybe... It's very interesting tech. Maybe you, maybe our age difference is showing here, but this is minority report, like nailed... Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Minority Report's a good parallel, too. Yeah. Which, but it's like, like, Minority Report was based on a story out of like 1950s. Like, this is like some, some yeah, real sure. true sci fi, like Total Recall. Like, like the, I could, I don't know. That's, that's crazy. Like, imagine, <laughs> imagine a world where, like, and this is just me synthesizing this into like weird talking points and potential dystopian sure, sure. futures that we can turn into future Netflix series. Hit us up. Um, <laughs> the, like imagine a world where like, you know, we all wear these biomechanic computers now, Apple watches, whoops, yeah, Garmin's, sure. you know, you name it. We have things on us all the time, measuring our heart rates and our breathing and respiratory conditions and you name it. Imagine one that was literally constantly monitoring our, what we were seeing recording and, and, and monitoring mm -hmm. what we're perceiving. Like how far away are we from that dystopian future where it's like when you do something or see something, bang, it shows up in the, uh, uh, like it shows up in a, a, a global database and is auto analyzed by a computer to be like, Oh, this person just committed a crime. <laughs> there was, um, there was a black mirror episode. It's pretty hacky to, to to bring up Black Mirror in the concept of a dystopian sci-fi premise, but here we are. There was a Black Mirror episode where the, the sort of core mechanic of it was that they had the ability to plug a person into a thing that could visualize what they were remembering. Mm -hmm. and it, uh, the story was following a person essentially trying to solve a crime. They could interview people, but they could put this little thing on their head and then watch on a little screen what they were remembering in real time. I'm like, that feels very, very analogous to this because it's not just about seeing what you're actually perceiving. It's about seeing what you're imagining in your head as a rendered 2D image. For now, it's a single 2D frame, but the speed at which we went from, okay, stable diffusion and mid-journey can generate one static frame. Now they can generate 24 static frames in a sequence and you have animation. This is, you're starting to get a bit of a pipeline for being able to just sort of see what a person is imagining in their head. And the uh, massive implications of that are um, 
Certainly not unpacked in this paper, but are really interesting to think about. If they're releasing this paper and talking about this research, mm -hmm. that means that it was done probably long enough ago that they are probably actively working on <laughs> pulling memories out as animated sequences. Like, you've got to imagine mm. it's the same parts of the brain that are creating... Like, if I'm looking at an image... It's, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe memory center is different. It'd be very interesting, but you've got to imagine that, that that's something that they're working on. Like if they have the ability to pull information out of your brain and turn it into a, a, a generated image. I think the, okay, so Lord Lord knows I don't know anything <laughs> about this, but I think the, the bottleneck would be the speed at which you could capture these fMRI images of the brain because that's the input that you're using um, to, to get the final image. So unless you could capture those images at an animatable frame rate, like unless you could capture 12 of those bad boys a second, you're going to hit a bit of a bottleneck using this technique to be able to create like a stream of video of what a person is picturing. Okay, well, I've got, I got, I've got news for you. FMRIs run at a frequency of... Yeah, what's your frame rate there? Oh my God, I'm finding conflicting data. So I, I shouldn't say anything. One says 100 hertz, which is like 100 frames a second. Whoa. So, but the other one says 0.01 to 0.25 hertz. So I'm not sure which one is right, but 100 hertz is definitely enough to pull video out of. Hmm. Wild stuff. <laughs> anyway, we that's a... What a time to be <laughs> what alive. What a time to be alive. Uh, so lessons learned from this episode, uh, find free public power, set up crypto farms. Mm -hmm. Um, your voice is no longer a part of you. It's now property of the internet, especially when you put it on the internet, like we do. We never actually talked about the voice story. I only introduced ah. you to son of hacked and never where that came from. Let's, let's wrap up there. So Joseph Cox over at motherboard posts this really cool story and video about him using, uh, some of the newer voice, uh, free speech synthesis programs that are out there to circumvent Lloyd Banks's voice ID biometric service. So basically, he used this service to hack into his own bank account. Great, great story, great video. Everyone should go check it out. Uh, Lloyd's Bank's voice biometric security thing uses all of the standard language that a lot of these do. It talks about how your voice is like your fingerprint. We use all these unique characteristics, and it can even recognize when you have a, a cold or a sore throat. Or apparently we have learned if you use a deep fake version of yourself. So what Joseph Cox did was he recorded a five minute sample of himself, uploaded it to a product made by a company called Eleven Labs, uh, and it generated this uh, synthetic version of his own voice. Eleven Labs has been implicated in a couple of like kind of not great things that have happened online. Nothing that they did but people on 4chan using sure. it to create videos of celebrities saying all kinds of messed up stuff. Really the classics. Um, importantly, the classics. I like uh, that. at the time that Motherboard, all the all classics. The classics. Uh, You've seen them on Twitter. You know which ones we're talking about. Yeah, completely. Uh, I think part of the reason this product was at the time really popular for those things, and this was still true when Motherboard published it, though not when I went to use it, was that for a long time, the entry-level version of this was free. So basically, with a burner email, you could do voice synthesis. And again, importantly, it only requires five minutes of speech 
for this to work. When we did our deep fake episode like a year and a half, two years ago, in order to get that fake voice, I had to upload 40 minutes of audio of myself talking. It took, I think, close to an hour for it to like just to synthesize and process it into a usable voice. And then the amount of time it took between me typing, hitting enter, and it producing an audio file was on the scale of minutes. The uh, I wanted to try Eleven Labs product out to see how you could use it for something like this. Yep. And it now requires five minutes. It was able to generate <laughs> the voice within less than a minute, almost instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> and then between typing and hitting enter, it's not quite real time, but a delay of less than five seconds. That's crazy. Which is how... Uh, motherboard was able to basically hold a real-time conversation with this voice authentication service and break into this bank account. You would need the uh, the victim's birth date, but with the amount of breaches where that information's gotten out, uh, for a lot of people, that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty low barrier. Lloyd's Bank is not the only place that uses something like this. TD Bank up here in Canada uses voice print, uses that same language. Your voice print, like your fingerprint, is unique to you. Chase Bank has voice ID. Wells Fargo has voice verification. Um, I think maybe for a little bit, maybe we put a pause on these. Maybe until we, <laughs> we, we figure out this speech synthesis thing, maybe we don't consider uh, voice biometrics as secure for a little bit. Let's just, let's just pause that as, as a way of, of locking down an account. I'm, I'm tossing that out into the world. Especially for people like you and I, Jordan, who have... Yeah, Hour, hours and hours and hours of our voices on the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe, maybe I am not a TD account holder, so let's be thankful for that because I'm sure yeah. it wouldn't take much to generate my voice. No, I did it by accident. Um, like it wasn't your voice; it was a weird. But you could have made fusion my voice. of both of our voices. But like I could have. I actually I thought that I was like I, I got I was like no. I, it feels like if we're going to start developing cultural rules and mores around this, don't deep fake someone without their consent probably seems like the very first one. So don't accidentally do that for your podcast, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> I thought to myself. <laughs> As I created my new 2023 morality. Kind of like try, trying to write some rules at a dead sprint here. Um, but I, I did feel like I could cross the line of, of, you know, playing around with the the both voices version and yeah, that, making that a, chi- a, ch- a, ch- a child of us. It's cute. I a like child it. voice, son of fact. Yeah, no, it, it's good fun. It'll 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 inherit this show from us at some point in the future. We'll have Chat GPT write it. We'll have son of hacked say it out loud. We'll get Music LM scoring it with all the music we've already written for the show. Um, this thing will just be on rails, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, I think that's it. YouTube is infinite storage. Uh, crawl space crypto mines. Robots can crawl read your brain. Space <laughs> crypto mines on Netflix on 2024. Netflix. Get at us. Chick-fil-A sauce. Get at- Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> you. We appreciate your time. We hope this wasn't too chaotic and uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Catch you in the next one. Ciao. 